if you don't make work fun, people will quit. So why do we expect people to keep coming back to a place that is painfully boring, that my talents aren't utilized, that I am told what to do instead of asked? So you have to make work fun. Fun means you're using people's talents. I'm really excellent at you know, getting, getting the sales closed. I'm a closer. Then why isn't that my full-time job? Hey, hey, welcome back to the Bullpen Sessions uh, podcast. I am excited to have Dr. Christy McMullen join me. If you are not familiar with who Dr. Christy McMullen is, she is a best-selling author of the book, Learning Can Stick, a guide to make every interaction safe, logical, fun, and memorable. And Christy has had a 24-year career as an educator who has now turned into an entrepreneur. It's going to help you make work fun. Christy, that's something that I think a lot of companies struggle with today. She has worked with thousands of adults in multiple industries at organizations like Remax, Solaris, and Rise to improve human interactions. And as you know, if you listen to the Bullpen Session podcast, one of the key ingredients to be a guest is you have to be a former college or pro athlete and or pro athlete. And today, I am excited to tell you, I have my first former college cheerleader on the game episode on, today. On. So Christy, welcome to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. I am genuinely excited to be you here. You bet. This no, this will be a great conversation today. So let's let's just start at the beginning. For the people who don't know who the heck Dr. Christy McMullen is, where were you born? <laughs> That's a great question. So I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Believe it or not, people really are born there um, because my father had the longest running comedy show in Vegas in the 70s and 80s. So in listening to some of your podcasts, I know that you were a, a 1996 graduate. I graduated in 1995. So um, growing up, I lived in Las Vegas until I was 11. Then we moved to Independence, Virginia, where they had twice as many cows as people and one stoplight. So I literally went from 7,000 cars going past my house a day to seven a week <laughs> and um, kind of culture shocked a little bit. And then I realized I really like being a big fish in a little pond. So what ended up happening is I you know, grew up in, in a high school of 600 kids and cheered all through that um, space from middle school and high school on. And then I went to Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina, about an hour and 45 minutes from Independence and decided to continue cheering there, had a blast, had blown out my ACL in high school, had it reconstructed, but discovered it still worked which was a good thing. Um, you know, so I was able to cheer all through college and then graduated, became an educator, and the rest is kind of history. Um, but the reason that I think I might have some value add is that whole make work fun thing. Um, because today, believe it or not, Andy, this is so exciting. Today, this day that we're recording this, January 27th, is National Have Fun at Work Day. <laughs> How ironic. And I didn't, I, that was not planned, folks. You know, and, and what's interesting, Christy, what I'm excited about today is, you know, most of my listeners are, are sales reps and mm. probably in the insurance industry just because that's where I come from. Sure. And, you know, we often talk about benefits, selling health insurance, helping your organization be more productive, having create a better culture. And so today is going to be really key with that conversation, because as you, you and I both know, culture is at the top of mind more today than it's ever been. But before we get there, yeah. let's go all the way back. So yeah. 
I often have a lot of parents of young athletes who listen to this podcast. As an 11-year-old, moving from uh, a, the, the Sin City, <laughs> right, of Las Vegas, the bright lights, to the rural air and rural area in Virginia, I know you had said you actually ended up realizing you liked it. What was that like at 11 years old? You know, it was tough. I'm so grateful. We had family in Independence and my dad needed to get out of the rat race, didn't want to do the entertainment gig anymore. And so when we moved, I knew a couple people and those couple people got me involved. So even though, um, you know, I was second half of fifth grade, beginning of sixth grade, I started out as the ma uh, the manager for the tennis team, for the high school tennis team, and just got involved. I think the key to any big move or really life in general is to choose to put yourself out there. So I chose to put myself out there. I started out as a manager, started cheering. I started doing things, joining clubs, um, just getting involved. Um, even though we were a school of 600, <laughs> that was the entire high school countywide, um, I didn't choose to just let life pass me by. And I think that has served me really well all the way through. So choosing a smaller college um, was due to the fact that I had seen really big and really small and discovered that I did better in that smaller environment where I could be shiny um, and let people see what I had to offer. But I think your question is really how, to, you know, when, when you've got parents that are moving their kids across the country, what might you do? find them a friend or two, right? We did it with our own kids. Our, my, our kids are, we have twins that are 21. And uh, when they started high school, we put them in cross country because it was one of the sports that happened before the school year started. So they went into high school having some really great friends and those friends are still, I mean, they still hang out at my house today. So it's kind of a cool full circle when you recognize that allowing people to be a part of something matters. Yeah. And you are down in Tampa, Florida, the Tampa, Florida area today. Yeah. Um, you know, you bring up a really relevant point about the the big school, small school. I have a nephew right now who's going to be playing college baseball and his high school right now has about 2,500 kids. Yeah. So it's a, it's a large high school. And I know some of the schools he was looking at in the recruiting process were small private schools. And I remember telling my parents, I think that's going to be a big culture shock if you were to end up to going, going yeah. to one of those schools being at a, you know, a high school 2500 going to a college that barely has a thousand kids i said that that's a big change for for somebody but you being at a small high school gravitated towards a small college which which makes a lot of sense Let's talk about, so in high school, I know you, you were a cheerleader, obviously. Yeah. Did you play any other, other sports? I did. I played tennis also. Um, the way our seasons ran, I cheered for football and basketball and then played tennis in the spring. So that kept me busy year round and I absolutely loved it. And what was interesting about my high school cheerleading squad, uh, it, I've always cheered all girls. And um, in high school, every one of us played another sport. So part of that, I think, is small school. I listened to one of your episodes recently. We we're talking about how, you know, you, you needed to be a three sport athlete. Uh, most of our kids were three sport athletes because there was nothing else to do in Independence, Virginia. <laughs> uh, but that produces really great athletes because they are well versed. They can do more than one thing. They have more than one interest. And I think that makes a big difference. Absolutely. I mean, that's we could go have a whole nother episode about what's changed in high school sports. Like, again, I see it with my nephew, my niece, you have to specialize these days. Yeah, and it, it's kind of sad because back when I was in high school, guys, it's hard to believe almost 30 years ago now. I know. Don't say that out uh, loud. Holy cow. But you wanted the three sports star. Yeah. Like those were the athletes that you coveted. And, and it's so it's changed so much these days. 
Well, let's talk about cheerleading for a second. You said some things offline that that I thought were hilarious. Um, you know, I think when people think of cheerleading, right, they definitely will not put it at the same level of the of of actual sports at a high school or college. <laughs> but that's not the case. It is as much of a craft as playing basketball, baseball, football, wrestling, anything else, you name it, right? And so let's talk about that. Start with, you You said something about what most people have as far as perceptions go of a cheerleader. Yeah. Talk about that for a second. Well, cheerleaders aren't always put in the smartest category that exists. Um, you know, we're the ditzes, we're the fun ones, yay! And I've spent my whole life trying to overcome that persona, quite honestly. But when you think about it, how much does a baseball weigh, Andy? Do you know exactly? I wish I could tell you, but it's 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 not a. I don't think it's a pound. It's ounces. Okay. So so ounces, and a bat's probably not more than that. I can tell you, a bat's going to be anywhere from probably thirty to thirty-three ounces. Okay. Ounces. Yeah. I was throwing 120 pound girls in the air. So when you think about a, a cheerleader, it's a full person that you have to get to um, hold her body in a, in a place that, and I was always a base. So that in and of itself meant that I had to be strong, but I also had to be stable and agile at the same time. And so um, because all of us played another sport, we had our talents and we uh, got carried through college. I didn't play another sport in college. I just cheered in college, mostly because I was there to get an education and I wasn't sure I could handle all of that. Um, but I still, I mean, I had to tumble. I had to be able to throw girls in the air. And then I also had to keep a smile on my face while I did it because because what people were really watching <laughs> was whether or not I was fun to watch. Um, and that's a whole different entertainment level that I think I've carried over into life. Um, I really try to be entertaining most of, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, I, I just think of going to college athletic events, right? Like it's, I'm a Wisconsin football fan. So going to Camp Randall and watching a Badger game or watching college basketball where, you see these the cheerleaders on the court, you know, at, at during timeouts or at halftime, and the stuff they're doing, like you said, it's almost like you're part gymnast, mm -hmm. you're part weightlifter, mm -hmm. uh, because you are throwing. You know, it's one thing to see the male cheerleaders throwing the the females sure. in the air, but it's another thing to see the females throwing the females in the air. Right. Um, and there's, I, I, I still remember sitting in the stands. You know, you know, when I see this stuff especially for the the female cheerleaders that are getting tossed and they're flipping. I'm like, they have a death wish. Like yeah. one thing goes wrong. This gets really bad, really quick. <laughs> well, and they've made some great documentaries now um, following cheerleading squads and yeah, you get hurt. I mean, I, it's a wonder I didn't break my nose. My shoulders are still not quite right. I noticed sometimes I'm like, Oh yeah, no, that would be uh, you know, Carrie's fault because <laughs> she was my partner. Um, but the reality is that any sport is going to do some wear and tear on your body. And you just have to learn how to adapt within it and then carry those skills beyond, right? Like I'm not throwing anybody up in the air anymore, but I spend a lot of time at boot camp and I'm able to do some things because I have some muscle memory. <laughs> so I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to stand, sit up on our stand up on a soapbox. If you have a soapbox okay. to stand upon, give me your take on the cheer moms these days. Oh, my sweet <laughs> Jesus. Woo. Um, <laughs> and I should probably be careful. because If I you are a cheer mother out there, please listen to this segment. 
y'all let's just take a breath right like come on it's it's a lot so my son actually worked as a valet for um, a couple years at a, diff a couple different places one of which was the gaylord opryland in nashville i'm very and familiar said, with Mom, it of all the groups that come through here which ones do you think are the worst <laughs> So cheer moms and dance moms do rank the same, um, which is sad, but it's more about the fact that they forget that anybody else has any feelings and they are mm. so wrapped up in their daughter, singular or maybe plurals uh, career. <laughs> so I think my, my take on cheer moms is really they want the best for their kids, but they do it in a way that is so off putting that you just want to say, OK, just maybe maybe we just. Yeah, don't live through your kids. Yeah. yeah no. And that's um, true of any sport, please. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. One question I asked for you, because, you know, being a, a cheerleader in college, I, I made the comment that it is as much of a craft. You, you're in the weight room, you're yeah. practicing, you're tumbling, all that stuff. Just like I had to go, you know, to practice for baseball and hit the weights for baseball. How did you manage your time? Because this is something I think college athletes struggle with. And I, I saw it in our own, you know, baseball team that the, even, even if they were extremely talented, where they probably struggle and sometimes almost fizzled away was their inability to manage time. Because once you get to college, you're creating your own schedule for classes. You don't have an 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. schedule like you did in high school. And there's a lot more free time and some did not use that very well. How, how did you, did time management become an asset for you in college because you were both a student and a cheerleader? A thousand percent. Uh, so I think, and actually, I mean, I've been coaching kids on how to get to college and beyond for my entire career and helping educators get better at that too. And the reality is the busier a student is, the more successful they are. So having a job, uh, be playing a sport, being a part of clubs and going to a full load of classes is actually what makes you successful because you're forced into time management. And that's carried all the way through my life. So I believe in the, the concept of stealing moments, right? So uh, when I was getting my doctorate, I was also working full time. I had 17 year old twins who were involved in everything and married and really enjoyed spending time with my husband. So where was I supposed to find the time? And so I would bring my books with me. And if I was stuck in car line, I was reading for 15 minutes, right? That's a habit I developed while in college because I was babysitting all the time. I, I served as a nanny and on top of, you know, job to pay for school to be able to play the sport. And so I didn't have a lot of time to waste. Therefore, I learned that if I'm choosing to waste time, that's going to create problems for me in the future. As a matter of fact, I only pulled one all-nighter in college and it was... it. I, I had to write a paper about Drosophila melanogaster. Do you know what Drosophila melanogaster is? And please don't tell me to spell it either. No. No, I don't think I could spell it either. But that is a fruit fly. <laughs> I was a biology major and we had to do a genetic study on these fruit flies and I had to write a paper. And the paper was supposed to be, I don't know, eight pages or something. And um, what was hilarious to me is that uh, I waited till the last minute to do it. Pulled an all-nighter. Next morning, tried to go to class. It was just awful. And I said, never again. So in terms of time management, what it taught me is that I need sleep. <laughs> that is important. And if I want to get it all done, I'm going to have to have a plan. You know, you bring, uh, it's funny you bring that up because you bring back memories for me. I actually started my college career um, as an architecture major. Oh, okay. And one of the things that became uh, very well known in, in the, in, on the campus was like architecture students were known for pulling all-nighters because they uh -huh. would have, once you get to the sophomore, junior levels, you have to develop these big projects. And 
I remember realizing that like I'm here on scholarship. How in the world am I going to pull all nighters and be Mm. both good in school and as an athlete? And that is what ultimately led me to change my major because I said, I can't be that guy that's going to pull all nighters, but then be a good student athlete at the same time. That's impossible. So what'd you end up majoring in? Uh, I, I changed my major to finance. Nice. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and the other reason for that, a quick side story was when you become a sophomore in architecture, you start what they call studio mm. studio was one to 5 PM, like on Tuesday and Fridays, Oh, but I had fall ball practice at 3 PM. Yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> and I told, uh, the, the studio, it wasn't an instructor, but yeah, studio instructor that I had to leave at three for practice. And he said, well, I guess you're going to have to make a choice. Next day was in with my counselor, changing my major. <laughs> and it seems to have served you well. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I'm, still- I, I'm I, exactly. I'm, I'm here today because of that, because uh, otherwise I might be designing buildings right now. Yeah. Do you well, still like the art side of things? Or you I do. That's I think, you know, no one's ever asked me that. And, the, and you just said that. It's probably why one of our gifts with complete game consulting is creativity. Yeah. Having that creative today, it's, it's put, it's shown itself through content on social media, but you're right. I think that might be where some of that creativity comes. I I really do. Well, let's talk about chapter two in your life. You know, the one downside of being a cheerleader is there really is no pro career. Sorry. No real life. We've got dogs in the background. That's great. There's really no pro career for a cheerleader. So chapter two in your life comes and it's time to enter the real world. Yeah. And you spent a a, a decent chunk of your career as an educator in the school systems. And there came a point, you know, if you look at your bio and your resume, where you made that shift from educator to entrepreneur. Yeah. What led you to gravitate away from, you look like, you know, you're working in a school system in Florida Mm -hmm. to saying, all right, it's time to go all in on myself. And that's when you developed AIM, your company AIM. What led you to that transition? Such great thinking. Okay, so I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. And my father, as I mentioned, was an entertainer. So I also thought, like if you read, where am I gonna be in 10 years at the end of high school? I said that I was going to be a teacher and I was gonna entertain in the summers. What I didn't realize is that every teacher is an entertainer all day long. <laughs> Form of public speaking, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, the skills that an edu- a public educator has are mind blowing. If you ever have the opportunity to hire a teacher, hire him or her. They are epic. So I became a teacher and that was what I knew I wanted to do, right? Well, it's funny how life throws different things at you. And so we moved from North Carolina to Florida. And in Florida, my principal asked me if I wanted to teach this um, class called Foundations of School Success. Like, yes, you mean I like get to teach kids to be good at school? Sure. I cried more than once in front of those little angels because I had 38 of them at a time and all 38 of them wanted to drop out of school. I had them for nine weeks for 85 minutes and I was supposed to teach them to be good people and to survive high school, period. 
no curriculum, no nothing. And what I learned real quickly is that eight, eight, nine weeks is enough time to build relationships, but you've just gotten them to where they trust you and then they leave you, right? And so fast forward, um, I, I, that led to me being a part of a really amazing program called AVID that helps kids get to college by making educators better at what they do. And so I went from teaching high schoolers to leaving the classroom and teaching adults how to teach students, and which is a thing, believe it or not, there are teachers who teach teachers. And then for 17 years, I kind of lived in that space where I was teaching educators to be excellent. And what I realized is that everything a teacher has to be able to do is something that every human on the planet needs to also be able to do. And that's communicate clearly, get your point across, get people to remember what you said. And so I wrote a book about how to get people to remember what you said. And through that, uh, realized, you know what? There are an awful lot of business people out there who don't know how to get their point across, and I want to help them do that. So that's really where the transition came in. I've been teaching adults for almost two decades. But in teaching adults, I was teaching educators specifically, and I realized there were an awful lot of people who really would benefit more from this than just teachers. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you a question I didn't intend, but I think it's very relevant because many of my listeners are parents of, yeah. of kids, right? And some are at in high school. And, and you and I both know high school today is very different than it was when you and I were in it, as far as the, per, the, the life of a kid in high yeah. school. Yeah. What advice, just out of curiosity, what advice would you give a parent to a child who's about to enter four years of high school. You, cause you said you taught kids how to be good people in high school. Like, yeah. and it's a very different environment these days with <laughs> social media and all the stuff that's going on. Like what did, for the parents out there who are like, uh Oh, I have no idea what I'm going to, what I can say to my kid to be prepared. Do you have any advice? I think I have two things. Uh, one would be to explore and be curious to stay curious longer. Because like you said, you have to specialize in a sport if you want to play that sport collegiately or professionally, yes. But join the club, go to the party, be safe at the party, but, but go, right? Make friends, be friends with more than one friend group. Uh, just explore what's out there because these kids that are in high school right now are preparing for jobs that do not exist yet. Majority of the jobs that exist right now are going to be covered with AI. So we've got to prepare them for something we don't even know what it looks like. So get every skill you can now while it's free and while you've got options. And then you're going to have every option in the world. I think parents tend to um, push their kiddos into very specific things very early. And then they can't, the kids can't explore other things. I'm not saying don't be in love with a sport. I think that's incredibly important. But be in love with the sport and have another side of you that creative side that you have, right? If that hadn't ever been nurtured, then you wouldn't be where you are today because you needed both. The advice I'd give to your, I, I think you just, what you just said, spot, I think some parents over-prepare their kids, yeah. right? And they, they're, they're, Ooh, I have another too, one too. <laughs> they're too focused. If somebody, I don't have children, but if somebody said, what advice would you give your kid if they're entering high school? I'd say, honestly, screw off more. <laughs> Because if I look back at my career, high school, right? Have more fun. Yeah. 
Because you're yeah. you're that 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 career that four years is going to go by, by like that. And man, I had by the way, I was the son of two parents who were in my high school because they were teachers. Oh my, yes. I still would have screwed off more had I been able to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's yeah. your other piece of it? Oh my gosh, my other piece, and I don't know why I didn't think of this first. Parents, please stop being lawnmowers, please. Parents are lawn mowing their way through everything. They're, they're mowing down any and every obstacle for their kid. And they're doing it out of sincere desire to be great for their kids and have them have a great life. But your kids can't do anything. I can't tell you how many emails I would get from parents saying, you know, Johnny can't do his homework. I'm like, well, Johnny's 16. He can tell me he can't do his homework. I don't need to know from you. So I think, too, recognizing that you have to fail in order to succeed. And if every failure was caught before it was a problem, then that child does not know how to succeed. And you've really just shot him in the foot. So uh, and and when that child hits the real world, the real world's going to punch him or her in the face and they're not going to be ready for it. Yeah. Cause you can't call your, your son's future employer and say, Hey, by the way, he's not feeling well. I'm sorry. He can't come in. Well, I'm kind of scared that that day is coming. Well, let's I've grab, let's transition now because to what you do today with aim, yeah. which by the way, is an acronym that stands for analyze, improve and move. And we're going to dive into each one. Your focus at aim is really on employee retention and productivity. Yeah. And what we just talked about, there, there's a level of not letting my employees fail that is starting to bleed its bleed its way into the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the biggest challenges today with employee retention and employee productivity? Work isn't fun. So here's the problem. If you don't make work fun, people will quit because people quit things that aren't fun, right? You don't go on a second date if you didn't have a good time on the first date and you don't go to a movie a second time if it sucked. So why do we expect people to keep coming back to a place that is painfully boring, that my talents aren't utilized, that I am told what to do instead of asked? So you have to make work fun. But when people hear fun, they think cheerleader, <laughs> right? They think dizzy and ah. no. Fun means you're using people's talents. Fun means you know what people's talents are. So for example, you don't have somebody who's really, really good on the phone pushing papers behind a desk. And you don't have somebody looking at spreadsheets who, you know, or, or you have somebody looking at spreadsheets who's really, really good with numbers. You have to know what people are good at and not just assign them something based on their job title. But we frequently say, well, that's what this person does. And my question is why? If you've got something who's really, I'm really excellent at, you know, getting, getting the sale closed. I'm a closer. Then why isn't that my full-time job? Somebody else can do the contract that happens after the sale closes, because if you're using my talents 17 hours a week, writing the report to close the loan, then you've wasted my talent. So to me, fun means that I'm valued at work that I know how to be good at what I do and that you've equipped me to be good at what I do and that you ask me rather than telling me what needs to happen. And are you seeing a bigger emphasis on this? Because when you look at the the millennials and the Gen Z, which is you know yeah. going to be the bigger and bigger piece of the workforce here who are probably less loyal mm, than a lot less loyal. baby boomers and even Gen X, I got to believe this, this, emphasis on we're going to make the job fun becomes even that much more important. 
huge. So Gen Zers actually, um, studies have been done that the number one thing that they want out of a job is, is to feel like they are bringing value to the table. So as an example, if you're working a social media campaign and you've got a kid that's, and I say kid because my kids are this age, but anybody under the age of 25, uh, if you say to them, I need eight posts on my desk by tomorrow for such and such, they're going to kind of do it halfway, right? But if you say to them, so here's the problem I'm trying to solve. I need to reach this particular audience. I know that we need a campaign that's going to get them excited about what's coming. Can you produce that for me? They're going to produce gold because you gave them a problem to solve instead of telling them what to do, right? So the biggest difference, and that really bleeds into millennials too. They, they want more than anything to be contributing and they don't feel like they're contributing if they're always put in a box. Nobody likes to be put in a box, but the, you know, I'm going to go with like 38 down really hates to be put in a box. So why are we putting them in a box? They have better ideas than we do anyway. hundred percent. You know, I even see it with, um, as we expand our team and look at things like a social media manager and stuff like that. I mean, I'm talking to Colorado state here and seeing what internship internship programs they have, because those kids in college right now are probably some of the best creators we have. I mean, they, oh they grew up in this world. Right. Yeah. And, and FYI, if it helps you, my definition of kid is if you are less, if you are 10 years or more, 10 years or you know, younger than how do I say 10 yeah, years or more younger, younger than me, I get to call you a kid. So <laughs> if, if that's, if that helps out, that's okay. my definition. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, okay. I love this because, you know, again, I come from the employee benefits world yeah. where we would always preach that what we sell you can actually improve your culture. And and and, and in many ways, if they have the right health insurance plan, it can produce, uh, improve productivity. So let's talk about your acronym AIM, which is Analyze, Improve, and Move. So if I'm an organization and I know that I need to improve yes. my employee retention, employee productivity, let's call it employee happiness. Yeah analyze. Let's go deep on that. So I'm really glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked today because this is kind of a new development and partnership that I'm doing. So the analyze is first to come in and say, how's it going? And what would it look like if it were great? Because that definition looks different in every organization. So what you think it's supposed to look like and what somebody else think it's, thinks it's supposed to look like might not be the same. So that's the first question is, what will it look like when this place is extraordinary? And then the analysis is really what sort of onboarding are you doing to make sure your employees know that too? Uh, are you equipping people to do their jobs really, really well? And then this partnership that I'm doing now is with a company called Elation. And Elation does a well-being survey that is super easy to complete and yet really thorough. And what it does is it gives you a score in all the different areas of your buffers. Those are the things that you're doing really well on and your stressors. And those, the well-being piece of it it is everything from am I sleeping enough to am I satisfied with my compensation? And so what happens with Elation is it gives you a report and that report says, here are the areas that you're doing really well in, in your 18 to 25 year olds. But here are the areas that your 18 to 25 year olds are really disgruntled. And here's where your African-American population is feeling really safe. And here's where they're not. So with that report, we move into improve to say, what the heck do we do about that? <laughs> so it's not enough to just know it. You have to actually change your actions towards something 
to do with it. Make sense? Yep. So we analyze. Now I know improve the word itself. Yeah. Kind of speaks for itself. But what does that mean in relation to improving productivity and engagement? So for me, it's about improving people's ability to do their jobs well. So whether that's um, training the CEO to be a better speaker to their teams, to training a manager to have more productive meetings, to finding out what the personalities of your team might be so that you're using them to the best of your abilities and you're not asking the paper pusher to do the, the on the phone stuff, right? So the improve is to really create a system for getting better. And then that's what leads into move because it's one thing to say, oh, we should do all these things, but we frequently say we should do all these things and then nothing changes on Monday morning. So what's your take about, you know, when I when I used to give my keynote talks on health insurance and, and, and the benefits side of things, one thing I talked about a lot was this challenge of we're in a time where there are four different generations in the same workforce, yes. right? You've still got baby boomers working, Gen X, Gen uh, Millennials, and Gen Z. In some cases, mom and son or daughter are working are in, the in the, are, yeah. are in the same team. How, as an organization, how do you develop a plan around that? Knowing four different generations all have different triggers, different things that motivate or demotivate them. Yeah, it's a couple things. Honestly, it's recognizing first and foremost that one size doesn't fit all, right? So if we are going to tackle this problem, we can't tackle it exactly the same way for every human in the building. And so that actually goes into knowing your people. Um, the, the most important thing you can do for anybody is to make them feel safe, not safe like OSHA safe, safe like psychologically safe. So I can say to you, I'm burnt out or I made a really big mistake, or I am not sure what I'm doing, and you're not gonna yell at me, you're gonna support me, right? So if I'm a baby boomer, I'm probably not going to say to anybody ever, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, right? They're just gonna keep their head down and go because that's what they've been taught to do. So I, as the leader in that case, need to ask, right? So it's about knowing your people. I'd love to tell you that I also have a magic wand, but this is really just a pen, right? Like there is no, there are no pixie dust type things you can sprinkle but you can pay attention, you can ask, and you can then ask again. So what I really like about this well-being survey is it attaches to whatever HR benefits exist within the organization. And it says, here are the resources that you have available to you if this area of your world is a stressor. And so it's giving people real-time tools that they can use right away instead of waiting until there's a problem to actually give them the tools. Because we tend to say, here's your benefits package. I hired you a decade ago. You know, best of luck. hundred <laughs> percent. It's, it, I think the downside to creating a, a productive workforce or just a better engagement, there's too much checking the boxes. Mm -hmm. Well, we did this, 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 and this. So why is it not working? And they're, and they're not considering how times have changed, especially since the pandemic. Oh my gosh. We've got different generations who have different, like I said, motivators. And so, you know, okay, let's go into move. So we've got analyze, improve, move. What, what, now that I've analyzed my organization, I have a, a system, a plan to improve. What does move mean to me? Move means you're going to try it 
and then you're going to try it again and you're going to try it again until you see something different come from it. So research says that it takes 18 times of doing something in front of others to master it. But we tend to do something once and go, that didn't work. <laughs> right. So I threw a party in the break room. Nobody showed up. Forget it. I am never doing that again. Right. Or I talked to so and so and I told them X and they didn't listen to me. Well, settle down and try it again, right? Because you get better with time. So it's like like pitching or or batting, right? You aren't perfect the first time and you're never going to bat a thousand, but you're going to hit more balls if you go back up to bat, right? And, and experience it over and over and over again in practice. But we don't do that with our approach to how we talk to people. We don't do that with our, well, really anything. We don't ever put ourselves in the learning zone. So I'm going to guess that you did some some batting cage work at some point in your career. Yes. Like you. Well, you, I was a pitcher. pitcher but so yes. But trust me, same thing. You're okay, a lot so of time on the mound. Yep. So a lot of time of, of honing your craft, right? Yes. Over and oh, over yes. and over and over again. When you were not in a game situation, that was a learning zone opportunity, right? Where you could tweak something and try it and do a hundred pitches that way. Most of our lives, we're in the performance zone. We're not in the learning zone, right? It's high stakes. I'm talking to a real client on the phone and I can't screw this up. Or I you know, am, am in front of people giving a keynote speech. I can't try something new. We have to put ourselves in the learning zone in order to be successful in the performance zone. But most of our jobs require us to be in the performance zone all the time. So when in the heck are we supposed to do that? Right. So part of the move is allowing people to be in a space where it's safe to make mistakes. I'm going to try this new thing. Not sure how it's going to go. Is that OK? Yes. Try it with this client. They already trust us. Let them know you're trying something new. Let's see what happens versus under no circumstance. Should you change it right now? which is what we tend to do, right? So it's about being in the learning zone instead of always in the performance zone in order to be successful. What you just said is the reason the name of this podcast is Bullpen Sessions, because every week I got one hour with my pitching coach in the bullpen. Mm -hmm. And that was the chance to work on things, get some coaching, both mentally and physically with my craft and just fail, work on things. If it doesn't work, try again. It's also probably the number one thing I love about entrepreneurship and running my own business. We're going to fail, but let's have fun doing it. And if it doesn't work, we're going to try something else. And on the flip side, I'll tell you, when I look at my industry insurance, I see too many people who sit and do nothing because they're afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. They want perfection before they take a first step. And guess what? They never take that first step. No. Oh, I'm really glad you said that. So I posted today on LinkedIn this exact phrase, bias towards action, right? So we have to take a bias towards action. We have to just try. It's okay to fail as long as you fail forward. And I, I just talked to a friend this week about how she didn't like that phrase. You know, I don't like fail forward because that indicates that we're failing. And yeah, you have to fail in order to succeed. You will never succeed without some failure. So did I do that really well? Mm, nope, not so much. But... I'm going to do it better next time because here's what I learned, right? I learned that if I, if I hold myself in this particular position, nothing happens. Like I think let's go back to cheerleading for a second. So a chairlift is where you pick a girl up and she's sitting on your hand, right? Well, I, my partner and I could not get that right for many, 
weeks. <laughs> and it was because our balance was off, right? All we had to do was shift just a little bit. And it took a coach looking at us and going, Chrissy, lean in when Carrie comes at you and you'll be able to pick her up. And then it was easy. So I think in life, we tend to not be comfortable with the tweaks, right? We, we want it to just work the first time. And if it doesn't work the first time, forget it. And the reality is nothing works like that. Nothing at all. I mean, I am so much better at what I do today than I was when I was, you know, 21 and just starting out. I think about my kids at 21 and go, why don't you know that? And then I go, oh, because you are 21. Oops. <laughs> I get it. So, yeah. So last question with the, with the, with the, the organizational structure the, 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 to what AIM brings to organizations as far as employee retention and engagement goes. If I am an organization listening to this, and I know this is where we're stuck, either we're not able to, to, to recruit the top talent, we're losing top talent, or we know that our current workplace culture, the atmosphere is a little more stale than it needs to be. Where should I start? So I think, um, well, I know that the person with the problem is also always the person with the solution or at least the most information to come up with a solution. So you've got to ask your people, what do you need? Right. Don't assume that, like you said, the same answer is going to work for everybody, but you have to get some input first and then you have to let them know you're going to fail forward and we're going to try some things and they might not work and we might not be doing them in a month, but we're going to try more than once before we give up. So I think the biggest thing is to recognize that nobody's perfect first and foremost, and then be willing to dig into that a little bit. It's going to be uncomfortable, particularly for the leaders, because it might come to the top that the leader's the problem. Uh, and so the leader's going to need to be okay with some constructive criticism too, <laughs> and then ask the people involved what it would look like if it were fixed. It's a great point. One of my colleagues in the insurance industry did a post about this a while back that I thought was so spot on when it comes to benefits and especially at like open enrollment time, her point was quit, quit treating your employees like children. You don't know what's best for your children, your employees. You have to listen to them. Yeah. Get yeah. it, get, get feedback from them. Yeah. So that was very well said. All right. My last question for you. Okay. The one I ask everybody, when you look back, you know, being a cheerleader in high school and college, and you look at your career today, is there any impact or any any influence cheerleading has had on what you're doing today, whether it's physical or mental or both? <laughs> uh, yes. So cheerleaders are entertaining, right? They're there to be watched. Not that every athlete isn't also there to be watched. They are. But the bigger difference is that there's a whole lot of other things that somebody could choose to watch. So I have to grab my audience. And I do that pretty epically, quite honestly. Um, I, I give stickers, right? Like actual scratch and sniff stickers. This is going to take you back. That one smells like peppermint, right? I give stickers to people as they walk in the room and make sure that their attention is on me, even though they could be thinking about anything else. And then from there, we continue. I continue to give them a reason to want to look right? Not at me, but to listen to me. Because remember, I said, I, I've been trying to overcome the persona of a ditz for my whole existence, right? So the idea is that I, I want them to listen to what I have to say, but I know nobody's going to listen until I capture their attention. So that's something that I definitely learned, um, probably hadn't ever thought about it until just now. But the idea of as a cheerleader, there are about 75 other things people could choose to watch, I want to make them. Listen. That's a really good point. Because I'm like, your job as a cheerleader at a college athletic event is, I want you to stay in your seat and not go grab popcorn at a timeout. <laughs> I got to grab your attention. 
And, and that's, and you know, it's, it's a really relevant point though. Cause I look at, for me, when people ask like, what has been the biggest impact of being a former pitcher had on your career? It, I think it was, it's why I'm a good, I'm a fair, I love, and I am a good public speaker. When you're a pitcher, all eyes are on you, yeah. right? You're on the mound. The game literally can't move forward until you pitch. Yeah. And I think that's why going to the the speaking stage was so easy for me. All eyes are on you. And I didn't have any fears around it. That makes total sense. Yeah. So, all right. So how could people, if I, if I've got an HR director, COO, CFO listening to this saying, all right, we need this. How can somebody reach out to you? What's the, what's the best way? The easiest way is my website, which is aimwithus.com. And that'll take you to everything else that has all of my different socials. You can also just look up Dr. Christy McMullen or AIM, Analyze, Improve, Move on LinkedIn. That's where I'm spending most of my space and time right now. Um, not that I'm not on all the other socials too, but that's the one where the where the human resources people are. <laughs> um, so LinkedIn, Dr. Christy McMullen or my website, aimwithus.com. And you can find all of my stuff there. And I I really hope you will because we've got some good stuff coming. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to put all your handles, website in the show notes. Um, any last parting words of wisdom? Parting words of wisdom. So I think that would be have a bias towards action. Just recognize that it might feel really scary, whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? Maybe it's just getting up and going to, to class <laughs> um, as a college student who stayed out too late last night. Or, you know, if you're a parent, just have a bias towards action. Just choose to do something. Even if the something's wrong, that's okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, Christy, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here today. I think this is going to be a very valuable episode. As I mentioned to you offline, we have a lot of parents who have children. So I think it's going to be very valuable from that standpoint of how to help rate, help my child, especially if they're entering high school or college. But at the same time, with retention and, and let's face it, employees having the leverage today, yeah. um, establishing a fun culture is very important. It really so, is. Well, thank you so much. And for everybody who took the time to listen today, thank you. And remember, when clarity meets confidence, you do amazing things. I hope Christy helped you create that clarity, which is going to turn into confidence. Go out and do some amazing things today. Take care.